Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Holy Crap It's Sports with Pete Davis. I'm your host, the aforementioned Pete Davis. I want to wish you a wonderful weekend to come. This is Friday, April 26th, according to the calendar there. So hope everybody's going to have a lovely weekend ahead of them. we got a lot of stuff going on today. In fact, we got a big debut, probably the biggest, most anticipated debut since Ronald Acuna last year, just about a year ago today, wasn't it? Or yesterday. Either way, uh, Vlad Jr., Vladimir Guerrero Jr. will begin his Major League debut and journey tonight, I believe in Toronto. Widely considered one of the top prospects in baseball. He's going to be called up by the Blue Jays and expected to make his Major League debut tonight. And of course, uh, Guerrero's father played the first eight seasons of his 16-year career with the Montreal Expos, so he did it in Canada as well, took to Twitter to celebrate the news. Here's what uh, Vlad Sr. tweeted. My son, the country that saw you as a child, Canada, will now see you turn into a big one. Working hard, everything can be done. I'm proud of you. Love you. And he's got a big old heart emoji right there as well. Guerrero hit 381. The junior did with 20 homers and 78 RBIs in 95 games while rocketing through four levels of minor league ball just last season. He also continued to perform this year at AAA Buffalo, hitting 367 with three homers and eight RBIs in just eight games, including a home run just a couple nights ago. Hey, your ride's here. Anyway, and he also sent a picture Vlad Sr. did of young uh, Vlad Jr. when he was a little boy. And it's funny because Sr. is very skinny, very muscular, not an ounce of fat on him. And Vlad Jr., well, let's just say he likes the cheeseburger, it looks like. Or he takes after Mama, I don't know. But uh, he's got a little more weight on him than Vlad Sr. did. Uh, by the way, the baseball Brit, the guy that's going around the whole world, including the United States this summer, uh, watching baseball games, the British guy, whose name escapes me at the moment, is in Atlanta this weekend. I think he's going to see baseball and football. Uh, going to see Atlanta United play soccer tomorrow night in the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, but he's going to watch baseball Friday night and Sunday night, Braves and Rockies. So if you hear a British guy and you're down at the ballpark at SunTrust Park this weekend and you hear a British guy talking, well, buy him a beer. Try and buy him a good American beer. By the way, uh, Anthony Castrovinci, who writes for MLB.com, had an interesting article, which he put out this week, asking other baseball players who would they like to see in other sports play the game of baseball. And he did this because Oakland A's prospect Kyler Murray went number one in the NFL draft last night to the Arizona Cardinals. Looks like he's going to be playing in the NFL and not playing uh, baseball, at least at the moment. And so with that in mind, Anthony polled players from around Major League Baseball with the question, which pro athlete not named Murray from another sport would make the best baseball player? Looking for active athletes, but a few other people kind of squeezed in there. The number one vote Getter, Browns receiver, Odell Beckham with 18 votes. Last year, he took batting practice at both Angel Stadium and Yankee Stadium, went yard in each building. In honor of his move to Cleveland, the nearby AA Akron Rubber Ducks have already named a hot dog after him. Uh, Royal second baseman Whit Merrifield said he's just too good of an athlete not to be good at baseball. Maybe he's got something to it. Uh, Tom Brady got 10 votes. You know, Brady was drafted by the Expos as a high school catcher five years before he was drafted by the Patriots. Shows how long Brady's been playing. The Expos drafted him. Astros outfielder Josh Reddick said even at his age, 41, he'd probably be stupid at it. Stupid being good. Kids today, I think, use that term for stupid. It's kind of like we used to say bad when it didn't really mean bad. 
Does anyone say bad anymore? Russell Wilson got nine votes, the Seahawks quarterback, and players who were selected after Wilson in the 2010 MLB draft and wound up signing include Jacob deGrom, Merrifield, Corey Dickerson, Jock Peterson, Cole Calhoun, Adam Eaton, Evan Gaddis, Cody Allen, and Kevin Kiermeyer. All were drafted after Russell Wilson. Uh, he signed with the Rockies that they took him number 140 overall, played Class A ball that summer and in 2011. And he's done, a, I think, a spring training with the Rangers and played around a little bit. Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, got eight votes. Of course, his daddy, Pat, appeared in 308 games in the big leagues, pitched for the Mets in the 99 National League Championship Series. Uh, the younger Mahomes fell to the 37th round out of high school in the 2014 draft because the Tigers picked him then. Yankees outfitter Aaron Judge says, I've got to go with my boy Patrick Mahomes. I know he pitched a little bit back in the day. He'd be a pretty good pitcher with that arm he has. LeBron James got seven votes. All the LeBron versus Michael Jordan talk compelled the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs, one of the great names in sports, the Phillies AAA affiliate, to make a public pitch to King James that a stint in minor league baseball would be the only way he would truly top Michael Jordan as the greatest of all time. Well, he kind of said no. Angels outfitter Mike Trout said, get LeBron in the cage. I want to see that. We'll put him in center field. A lot of people saying he could probably rob a few home runs out there in center field, as tall as he is. Rafael Nadal, the tennis player, got three votes. Pirates first baseman Josh Bell said side-to-side range. He probably has a decent swing. He probably would have a really good swing after a while if Nadal practiced it. Aaron Rodgers, the Packers uh, quarterback, got three votes. Not very heavily recruited by Division I baseball programs his senior year of high school. Rogers started pitching, reportedly developed a fastball in the low 90s, and a strong presence as a switch hitter at the plate. Julian Edelman, the Patriots receiver, little munchkin, got three votes. Antonio Brown, the guy who may or may not play for the Raiders, depends on what he feels like, got three votes. Uh, those uh, players who got two votes, Michael Jordan got two votes. And according to Mets reliever Robert Gesellman, he only had a short time playing ball. Give him a couple of years like Tim Tebow, and I think he'd succeed. Browns quarterback Baker Mayfield got a couple votes. And according to Angels catcher Jonathan Lucroy, he can play a little bit. Hall of Fame quarterback Brett Favre, he got a couple votes. Had a hell of an arm, said Twins pitcher Taylor Rogers. Prime Brett Favre was just slinging footballs everywhere. He'd be on the mound for sure. Saints quarterback Drew Brees got a couple votes. And according to Mets reliever Seth Lugo, he's the man. Houston Texans defensive end J.J. Watt got a uh, couple votes. And let's see who else did. One vote went to sprinter Usain Bolt, who's playing soccer, I think, right now. Detroit Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford. Once again, prayers going out to his family and his wife, who just had uh, brain surgery. Hopefully she's doing better. And uh, Phillies reliever Pat Neshek may have had the most correct answer of all, according to uh, Castro Vince, saying any cricket player could play baseball. You know, that's two podcasts in a row. We've had cricket news. Oh, your ride's here. We have some ambient noise here in the palatial studios here because I have the windows and door open. It's a beautiful April day here in Sandy Springs, Georgia. Once again, my name is Pete Davis. You can follow me on Twitter at Pete Davis One. That's the number one. Or write me at, at Pete Davis One at Yahoo.com.
Com. Well, a little controversy up in the Cincinnati Atlanta series up in Cincy the past few days. The Reds took two out of three. As Reds TV analyst Chris Welsh caused an internet firestorm Wednesday night when he said this about Atlanta second baseman Ozzie Albies, and I quote, It's funny, I've read a lot about it, and I've read opinions of both sides. A lot of people are blaming the agent for letting him sign a deal like that, but Albies came from a very poor background. He's from Curacao, and when somebody offers you $35 million, I mean, he may not know the difference between $35 million and $85 million. It's going to have a tremendous positive effect on his family and himself. Maybe the people in his immediate family or extended family, it changes the lives of so many people, end quote. Now, of course, I don't know what inflection he used. I haven't exactly heard the exact words. I just read the exact words there, and that can be taken out of context or whatever. But, of course, some people took advantage of this comment. Albie signed a seven-year, $35 million contract April 11th. A lot of people saying that's very team-friendly. Well, sometimes contracts are team friendly it doesn't always go the players uh, way but of course deadspin.com jumped on it so did awfulannouncing.com let me give you a little background deadspin is gawker light it's gawker for sports gawker went out of business because they pretty much libeled and slandered somebody i thought wasn't it uh, hulk hogan who basically sued them out of existence uh someday that'll probably happen to deadspin extremely left-wing biased they love to attack people on the right i don't know if chris welsh is republican or conservative i don't know but deadspin does love to go against stuff like that uh, awful announcing just seems to go after everybody so i don't have much problem with them uh welsh uh, spoke to Ozzy Albies Thursday afternoon and chose to keep the conversation private, said he apologized to him. He later went on the air and apologized, but said, you know what, I didn't say it on the Internet, so I'm not going to say anything more about this on the Internet. And good for him. It's, you know, a private thing between him and Ozzy Albies, and if Ozzy is okay with it, I haven't heard Ozzy say anything about it, well, then that's fine. Speaking of politics and baseball, I came across a photo recently of the New York Yankees back in looks like either either the 20s or 30s, and they're holding baseball bats. There's one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven. There's nine of them, including ten of them, including Babe Ruth. He's the one I recognize here. They're holding baseball bats up, and on top of their baseball bats are letters. Babe Ruth is holding the letter T, and basically the bats spell out for Al Smith. Well, Al Smith was the four-time governor, Democratic governor of New York State. He also ran for as Democrat against, um, oh, shoot, who did he run against? I forget, Coolidge or somebody for the Republicans. But anyway, Al Smith ran as pre- for president and did not make it, didn't win. But can you imagine? Here's the New York Yankees holding up a political sign for Al Smith, a Democrat. Can you imagine a team nowadays, a professional team, holding up a sign on the field a political sign for a political candidate. Different times back then, my friends. Some breaking news uh, this Friday afternoon. The Nationals have placed struggling reliever Trevor Rosenthal on the 10-day injured list. He's supposedly dealing with a viral infection, and who's, who are we to say he's not? President of Baseball Operations Mike Rizzo, or should I say interim, uh, told reporters that Rosenthal has been dealing with a stomach malady that had spurred significant weight loss and muscle fatigue. Hmm, that may have something to do with the 28-year-old's issues on the mound. He has managed to secure only nine outs and seven appearances, coughing up a dozen earned runs on seven hits and nine walks while recording just three strikeouts. Hell, he'd be the closer in Atlanta. 
Uh, the Nationals have called up prospect Carter Keyboom, who will make his Major League debut at shortstop against the Padres tonight. The 21-year-old Keyboom, who was rated the 98th best prospect in baseball by ESPN prior to the season, was off to a pretty good start at AAA Fresno. Uh, batting uh, 379 with three home runs and 18 RBIs in 18 games. I don't know if that's Fresno in Texas or California. Uh, Keyboom says, this whole thing is crazy to me. Uh, <laughs> I was in high school three years ago doing art projects and stuff. The Nationals also got some good news. The return of third baseman Anthony Rendon. He missed four games after taking a pitch off his left elbow. Yowza. Well, if you happen to have 11 million laying around the house, uh, I told you in the last podcast, if you had $5 million, you could buy a Babe Ruth jersey. Well, if you have $11 million, you can buy Jason Giambi's pad, his crib, down in Cabo San Lucas in Mexico. It has an infinity pool, which costs about as much these days, I guess, as the infinity stones. It's 12,000-plus square foot Mexican villa. Via Villa. The auction starts May 21st, runs through the 24th. And you got to ask Jason Jambi, why are you selling it? And if you see a photo of it, it's beautiful. It's right there on the ocean. It says he wants to free up some cash. Well, who, who of us doesn't? Right now, in fact, all my money is tied up in cash. He says the auction of Casa Cielo, which I think means sky, House Sky, marks an exciting new chapter for me, Jason Jambi, as I move on to other ventures. Like paying bills. Uh, by the way, Jambi made a lot of cash during his 20 years in the big leagues, according to TMZ, uh, raking in a reported $133 million. Dustin Pedroia has been busy. He's had another frustrating season with injuries. His knee's acting up again, that surgically repaired one. But he's not just sitting around on the bench. He's helping his teammates. Left-hander Eduardo Rodriguez had his best outing of the season Wednesday night and a win over the Tigers and credits his success to a new grip on a breaking ball taught to him by the second baseman, Pedroia. Said after the game that he was sitting in the dugout three or four days ago feeling forlorn, and Dustin said, hey, you want to see a nasty breaking ball? <laughs> Sounds like a come on line. After Pedroia told him, hold it like this and throw it like that, Rodriguez said he tried it a couple days ago. It was moving pretty good, so he broke it out in the game. So much for all this, these analytics and this, all this technology. you got two guys sitting on the bench, and he teaches them a pitch in one, one sitting. Rodriguez came into the game with a 1-2 record of 7.20 ERA, allowed just one run and two hits in six strong innings, struck out seven Detroit batters, evening his record at 2-2. Two two. Jason Stark, the ESPN writer, I think he's also with The Athletic these days, says, here's one thing I didn't see coming. Tommy LaStella, the former Braves you know, farmhand and uh, position player and now with the Cubbies, Tommy LaStella has seven home runs. I'm I'm sorry, he's with the Angels now. Tommy LaStella is. Uh, Rizzo and Bryant of the Cubs have five home runs. So Tommy LaStella has seven dingers. Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant, five home runs combined. That's not going to last very long. Mets reliever Jacob Rain was given a two-game suspension and an undisclosed fine for intentionally throwing at the head of Phillies first baseman Reese Hoskins in the top of the ninth inning Tuesday. The Mets were up 9-0. I don't know why he did it. Uh, so, well, I know I did it. One day after two Mets were hit by pitches, so that's what he did. Uh, the Philadelphia cleanup man, Hoskins, said later the Mets catcher insisted they were just trying to go inside, which is a lie. Bullshit. 
Uh, Reims suspension due to his pitch that sailed over Hoskins' head. Uh, both teams have been warned at that point. So Hoskins got his revenge the next night, hitting a two-run homer down the left field line off Reim, then taunted him with a slow jog around the bases, taking him exactly 34.23 seconds to run the bases, the slowest home run trot in the uh, majors this season. Of course, the Phillies won 6 to nothing. The White Sox have designated reliever, I'm not reliever, but starter right-hander Irvin Santana for assignment and then reinstated rookie outfitter Eloy Jimenez from the bereavement list. Santana, who had signed with the White Sox on a minor league deal back in February, 0-2 with a 9.45 ERA and three starts this season. Jimenez was placed on the bereavement list on Monday so he could return to the Dominican Republic following the death of his grandmother. He's hitting 231 with two doubles, three homers, and eight RBIs in 20 games this season. I believe two of those homers came in one game against the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. The 36-year-old Santana, by the way, in his 15th Major League season, a career record of 149 wins, 127 losses, a 4.09 ERA, and 384 Major League starts. And a good guy. Been with several teams, but a good guy when he was here in Atlanta with the Braves. It's now time for this day in baseball history. I'll take a little uh, little break here. What are we drinking today? How much is just some straight-up rye whiskey? How about that? I don't even know the name of it. I do. It's Old Overholt, my favorite rye whiskey that's not made in the state of Georgia. Maybe in the next podcast I'll tell you about my favorite rye that's made here in the state of Georgia. By the way, not one siren. We've had two car horns and not one siren. I just want to point that out. On this date, 1941, April 26, Wrigley Field is the first ballpark to use their organ, I said ballpark, to entertain fans. And insert your own joke here. But their organ is not a hit and is removed. They removed their organ. And the organ in Wrigley Field would not return until 1967. 26 years it was gone. On this day in 1959, Harry Chitty, C-H-I-T-I, is traded to the Mets from the Indians for a player to be named later. In June, New York sends the catcher back to Cleveland to complete the deal, making Chitty the first player ever traded for himself. Which sounds kind of chitty to me. On this date, 1989, Giants left fielder Kevin Mitchell overruns a fly ball by the Cardinals, Ozzie Smith. We talked about this a few podcasts ago. So Kevin reaches up and catches the ball with his bare right hand. It's one of the greatest plays. You can look it up of all time. One of the reasons Mitchell was the MVP of the National League that season, 1989. On this day in 2000, Expos outfitter Vlad Guerrero smacks his 100th home run, and of course his son Vlad makes his Major League debut tonight, probably with the uh, Blue Jays. Good luck to him. On this day in 2008, Sarah Tuchalski, and this story always just you know puts a catch in my throat, a softball player at Western Oregon Hits a home run, but blows her knee out rounding first base and falls to the ground in pain. She's unable to continue. If her teammates then come out and help her up, the homer becomes just a single and she's out. It's then that her opponent, Central Washington's Mallory Holtman, starts to pick Sarah up. Her other teammates come and help her, and the players of the other team carry her around the bases in the ultimate display of sportsmanship. This went everywhere. Back in the day, this is this is 2008, and things didn't do viral very quickly back then. It went Sports Illustrated. It went ESPN. It was on every place. Every local sports station, every local TV station showed it. And I tell you what, it made me actually tear up when I saw it at the time. On this date, 1977, the Rangers trade Lenny Randall to the Mets. 
Lenny was still under suspension for breaking his manager Frank Lucchese's cheekbone during spring training. Lucchese, I used to get him in every pack of baseball cards. The Mets had recently named Joe Torre their skipper. But frankly, I would have kept the previous Mets manager around a little longer to handle Lenny Randall because Lenny probably would have thought twice about punching that guy. That guy's name was Joe Frazier. Not that Joe Frazier. Also in the state, 1904, Ty Cobb made his major, not major, but pro debut in the age of uh, 17. He homered and doubled for Augusta in the South Atlantic League, but the tourist, however, will release the Georgia Peach two days into the season. Gee, I wonder why. 1931, on this date, Washington's Griffith Stadium, Lou Gehrig smashes a home run which clears the fence, but then bounces back into the hands of center fielder Harry Rice. Base runner Lynn Larry, thinking the fly ball is the third out, returns to the dugout without crossing home plate, and the iron horse, trotting around the bases with his head down, very humble, is ruled out for passing the runner. Man, I would have beat him. 19, Lynn Larry, I would have beat. On this date, 1959, Sada Haru O. Oh. Hits the first round tripper of his world record 868 home runs. The Japanese first baseman will play his entire 22 year career with the Yomiuri Giants of the Central League in Nippon Pro Baseball. And once again, I'll tell my Yomiuri Giants story. I came back from Tokyo in the year 2000. The Falcons had played the Cowboys, and I was a sideline reporter for the Falcons. So over in the Tokyo Dome, and I buy me a Yomiuri Giants baseball cap. So later that season, the Falcons are playing in Oakland playing the Raiders, and the black hole, I'm standing by the black hole of the fans, and they're yelling, come over here, come over here, come over here. And this guy's dressed like death from head to toe. I'm literally like death with a skull cap and everything. And he comes up and goes, hey, 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 your cap. And my cap is a Y and a G on it, okay? And he says, hey, does that stand for the University of Georgia? Yeah. Reminding us all that California once had the number one state educational system. It's not anymore. On this day in 1973, after six tries, the defending world champion A's finally win their first series of the season when they beat Cleveland 3-2 in Oakland. Hey, Red Sox fans, keep a chin up. The A's went on that year in 1973 to win their second of three straight World Series, beating the Mets that year. You got to believe? I don't think so. Daryl Knowles blew the save in the game and cost Catfish Hunter his first win of the year, and, uh, but they went on to win the game. In 1990 on this date, Ranger hurler Nolan Ryan tied Bob Feller's Major League record of throwing 12-1 hitters, 12, when he beats the White Sox 1-0. The only hit allowed by the 43-year-old right-hander is Ron Kittle, single to right field on a check swing in the second inning. On this date, 1993, Vince Coleman accidentally struck Doc Gooden's right shoulder blade with a golf club. Why the hell did he do that? Well, he was practicing his swing in the clubhouse at Shea Stadium. That's where you know. That's where you want to take a big wide swing with a golf club in your hand. And by the way, Doc Gooden was not seriously hurt, but will and will pitch in the uh, game the next afternoon. But skipped his scheduled start that night. On the state, 1997, in the Cubs' 7-6 win over the Pirates in Wrigley, Ryan Sandberg hit his 267th career home run as a second baseman, breaking Joe Morgan's record for the most homers at that position. The mark will not be broken again until 2004, just seven years, when Jeff Kent of the Astros records his 268th dinger as a second sacker. A little background on this. 
Uh, Ryan Sandberg is the most overrated player in the history of baseball. I'm not making that up. This guy's in the Hall of Fame. Are you kidding me? Look, back in the day, I watched the Braves and on the Superstation TBS. I watched and TCG before that. I watched the Mets on WOR, and I watched the Cubs on WGN. Sandberg had a, a, the range of a Frigidaire at second base. Three steps to the right, three steps to the left. If he took more than three steps in either direction, he would dive and the ball would glance off his glove into right field. I'm not kidding. Every single time. He had zero range. And the score at Wrigley Field would go, oh, hit, hit. It bounced off his glove when he took three steps. He should have caught the ball and thrown the guy out. Instead, it glances off into right field. Oh, no, that's a hit. Don't get me started about Ryan Sandberg, a failure as a manager. Um, By the way, and Jeff Kent, not the most friendly of guys. On this day uh, in 2008, Brad Penny's 96-mile-per-hour fastball is missed by Dodger catcher Russell Martin and knocks out umpire Kerwin Danley. After the players are asked to leave the field, the home plate uh, umpire, who lost consciousness, consciousness briefly, is put on a stretcher and leaves the Dodgers-Rockies game in an ambulance. And finally, on this day also in 2008, Vin Scully received an honorary Doctor of Laws degree from Pepperdine University in Malibu, the institution's highest honor. He tells the class of uh, 2008 Seaver College, that the graduates, that achieving dreams may be difficult, very difficult, but not possible. Oh, no, I'm sorry, but possible. Very difficult, but possible. A little background on this, and I know you're all going to hate me after this. And I have softened my view on this guy the last few years, but I despise listening to Vince Scully call a game. And there's two reasons for that. Number one, I grew up in Atlanta. Vin Scully would do CBS football broadcasts in the fall and winter. And he always seemed to have the Falcons. But no, not Vin Scully. They weren't the Falcons. Everybody in the NFL calls them the Falcons. Everybody, all the fans, even fans of other teams, even Saints fans call them the Falcons when they're not putting F words in front of it and stuff like that. The only person in my life I've heard the pronunciation Falcon F-U-L-C-A-N, is from this um, guy, Vin Scully. In the past, I would have called him a name, but no, I've softened over the last few years. So he, we would literally go at Falcons games and yell up at the CBS booth, it's Falcons, you pompous ass. And uh, he would keep saying Falcons. He would act like he didn't hear us. I know damn well he heard us. That's reason number one. So I've held a grudge all these years. Number two was when I lived in San Diego for three years in the 80s, <laughs> the year 84, the Padres whipped the Dodgers' ass and stole Steve Garvey from them before then. You heard more Vince Scully Dodgers broadcast around Southern California than you did Padres broadcast even, even in San Diego. And that's even back when the legend Jerry Coleman was doing Padres games. I didn't mind Jerry Coleman. I thought he made a lot of mistakes, but he was you know, a good guy with a war hero and all that. I had no problem really with Jerry Coleman. It's that asshole Ted Leitner that's followed him and has, shouldn't even be in a booth that Jerry Coleman ever even looked at, much less broadcasting games. I'm Ted Leitner. I'm the most affected voice in sports. Jeez. I actually spit on the spit guard there. First time ever. Making fun of Ted Leitner. 
don't even get me started with that guy. Anyway, so Vince Scully, but over the past few years, I've actually lightened up a little bit. I think mainly because he's retired now, I don't have to hear him anymore. I just always thought Scully was overrated. To tell you the truth, I'd heard most of his stories at least three to- 300 times, and, and I've never been a fan of the one-man booth. Unless, of course, um, it's basketball. I have no problem with it in basketball. But baseball, you need two guys because baseball has too many lulls in the action. And I, I'm just, I think there needs to be two guys playing off each other. Unless, of course, it's Ted Leitner, in which case uh, there could be uh, half a man in the booth and not Ted Leitner. Anyway, uh, that's enough of my soapbox this afternoon. It's a lovely night, and I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some Chinese. The NFL draft is later. The Braves are playing the Rockies. It's going to be a great, great evening. I went and saw the, oh, by the way, I saw the Avengers in game last night, and I'm going to have to see it again. I've got to tell you, I, can't, I cannot decide. If the first half of that movie is a jumbled mess or a masterpiece, because it leads up to all the action in the second half. I'm not going to give away any spoilers, by the way. I don't do that. I'm not an asshole, at least not when it comes to spoiling movies. I'm just going to say, as someone who grew up reading the comic books and looked forward his entire life to seeing this, these characters on the big screen, I mean, Captain America is the man, always has been for me. So it was interesting to see how the uh, movie, um, how the story came to a conclusion. I'm not going to give any any spoilers. But I got to say, that first half was kind of bizarre. And there's a couple plot points that, that, to this point, have left me a little puzzled. So later on, maybe next month, when people, most people have seen it already, I'm going to ask a question, if it hasn't been answered, about how something appeared in that movie. Where has it been? Is all I'm going to say. Maybe I missed something in the old... I'm not going to say what happens. But maybe I missed something, so maybe I'll have to see it again. Or maybe it's going to come a year from now when I see it on Netflix where I can rewind it a few times. I don't know. Anyway, go see it. It's a, it's a great movie. There's a lot of great moments in it. I'd give it a B plus, A minus at the moment. But then again, I think Infinity War was better. That's just me. Maybe it's because it, it was more concise because this is a long movie. Maybe it's because I was sitting with a bunch of duds and who only cheered once during the movie. And there's several, several times you should be able to cheer if you're a Marvel fan. But anyway, that's just me. Everybody have a lovely weekend, a lovely night. We'll try and maybe do one more of these over the weekend. We'll see. Uh, this is a pretty long one as we, as we um, come to an end. Anyway, everyone, not the end of the podcast. Once again, thank Esther and thank Michael for your support. We'll be um, back very soon. Drink up, Shriners.